Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Welcome everyone. I am so happy to be here today. Few Australians wear their heart on their sleeve as does my guest in the studio. His career successes are well documented including Australian of the Year in 1986. He circumnavigated the globe in a helicopter in 1983 and I well remember that. Founded a numerous amount of Australian businesses. He's outspoken and passionate about all things Australian. He's a philanthropist, nominated an Australian living treasure by the National Trust, and he's achieved more world firsts than I can count on my 10 fingers. To tell the truth, I could take an hour reading the long list of his achievements, and I'd like to welcome Mr Dick Smith. Karen, great to be here. I'm very excited that you're here and I know that the listeners will love to hear the answers to the questions I'm going to ask you today because they're all really wanting to age fearlessly and I think you're a person that is definitely ageing fearlessly. Oh, maybe. I'm 75 last week, so I'm still doing okay. Are you a Pisces? Not that I... Or are you an Aries? I'm a sceptic, so I don't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) I'm glad because I'm not really into that either, but some people like that sort of thing. (laughs) So, Dick, I'm just going to get straight to the questions here. What's the driving force that makes you jump out of bed every morning and get into the day? I think it's that I won the lottery of life. I was born in Australia in the 1940s. Wow. I've never had to go to war. I've been living on this incredible system with the growth that's been going on. And uh, I've just been very lucky, as anyone my age has been. Well, I think, you know, I was born in the 50s, so I'm not that far behind you. And I agree. Well, those days of waking up in the morning, being out all day, and your mum calling down the street when the street lights went out, you would remember that. Yeah, my only rule, I lived at East Rosal, just above Rosie Bridge, and the only rule was I'd get home from Rosal Public School about a bit after three, you had to change out of your school uniform and then be home by dark. Uh, I'd disappear down into the bush over to Headlands Heights Estate, down to Rosal, the, the old Rosal Bridge in the boat shed, Faulkner's boat shed, and uh, no one worried. I mean, today you'd be declared unfit parents if you allowed that to happen. Oh, you definitely would. And, you know, that was your mum going, Dick, Dick, it's time to come home. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually, I always, I always obeyed my parents. And so I was sort of a goody goody. So if they said home by dark, I always was. Were you allowed to have afternoon tea before you went out or you just didn't have time? Oh, no, I'd grab some Vegemite on uh, bread and butter. I remember that. Love yeah, that. Love the bread and butter. Yeah, but you love the Vegemite and I used to love the peanut butter. But you know my mum, she used to cook us some lamb chops because she had a wholesale butcher near us and we had horses and we used to swim. So our afternoons were packed. So we'd come home and have a couple of lamb chops. Amazing. (laughs) We didn't have that much money, but we had Mm. lamb chops. (laughs) So Dick, 
You've achieved so much in your life, which probably means you're busy 24-7. Would that be correct? Well, no, not really. I've been very fortunate and I've sort of had a number of different careers, three in business and then adventure and then the environmental things I've done and also I've been a couple of times the chairman of the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, so I've been involved in Canberra as well. And, uh, you know, to me... Doing different things is what keeps me going. Otherwise, I'd get bored. I'm a bit like that too. I really like to have lots of things going at once. Some people say overcommitted. But, (laughs) you know, it's better than being home and bored. So what does an average day for you look like? Well, I'd get up. I normally get up about 7.30. And uh, I do a long walk every day. And uh, normally, my walk takes me into the bush. And uh, I've done that for the last 40 years since I've lived at Terry Hills. And then I get on the internet these days, get on the phone. I have lunch normally at home with Pip. Uh, I have an office down in the backyard, so that's pretty handy. So I go down, got four or five staff there. You know, I have I have four or five staff because I run an investment company. When Pip and I sold out from Dick Smith Electronics and Australian Geographic, we invested in some commercial buildings, and they've always done okay. So I have the staff who run those buildings, and that gives me the income. And we also have a family charitable foundation. So I've got lots of letters in all the time, people wanting assistance and look at those and decide who we can help. So generally, like you just said, it's a really busy day for you that you've got lots of projects on, lots of emails. Wow, you must sometimes get tired, do you? Yeah, I get tired, but um, I've also I've got the helicopter at home and so I can jump into the chopper and fly out to Bankstown. I give talks to schools and so I normally go by helicopter, so instead of sitting in the car rat race for an hour and a half with traffic lights, I can go there in 10 or 11 minutes, so it's pretty good. Mmm, straight over the top. Must be an interesting view with all those buildings these days. Also with the extra buildings. It's amazing, having been flying for well, probably 40 years over Sydney, I've seen this staggering change and that's what worries me. We've gone from houses with backyards that young couples could afford to termite mound buildings where the kids will probably never actually see green grass. It's really sad. I know what you're talking about because a couple of years ago I was working out in the the western suburbs of Sydney and there's some lovely areas there, but things are going up faster than you can blink. You're absolutely right. Look, we've got to live in balance one day we have five million in sydney now and we're on our way to 10 million i think that's crazy i'm trying to get the politicians to agree that let's come up with a number and then let's try and live in balance rather than have constant growth west of the wall west of the wall it's a famous song because it was about i think a girl or a boy who one was on one side of the berlin wall and the other was on the other side And amazingly enough, when that song was on the radio, I was the lowest of low. I'd basically failed at school and I was working in a factory doing process work. And I could hear that west of the wall in the distance. And years later, I actually came through the wall from the Russian side and it was there and going with machine guns and everything. I'd, as a backpacker in 1966, I'd gone into Russia 
And then to me, the greatest thing which has happened in my life was to see that wall be knocked down by the students in total peace without anyone losing a life. And so that's the West of the Wall story. I had a friend who was working in France at the time and he operated a Luma crane. For, right. And he was actually there. And I oh. think he has a little piece of the wall Wonderful. as a memento. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. My guest today is Dick Smith and we're just talking about all sort of things ageing and I want to talk now about retirement, Dick, because the retirement age in Australia has risen and many of the over 50s and 60s well, they're made redundant and then they find it difficult to find work because of ageism and employers not wanting to employ people of that age. How can we future-proof ourselves and be seen for the value we add in the workplace, like knowledge and wisdom and skills? Yeah, it's going to be really hard because there's going to be less work available with uh, robotics and uh, what they call sort of super intelligent machines and automation. There's going to be less jobs, not more. At the same time, we're doubling our population. In fact, at the present rate of growth, 1.6% per year, we will have 100 million Australians at the end of this century when our grandkids will be alive. That's not a good idea. So there's going to have to be a real change. And uh, in one of the papers I did, the Fair Go paper, I even canvassed what they call a living wage where people get paid not to work. It was tried in Finland. It's going to be a really difficult one. But there's no doubt in my mind that working hours will have to really have to reduce. As we become more productive, the only way we'll keep people in, in employment is by having more jobs and less working hours. But all of these things are only going to happen when it's forced on us because the wealthy, the billionaires who basically control our country, their greed is unlimited. And so they're going to do everything they can to keep the profits coming in until they're forced into something different. I mean, for someone like me, and I'm 63, and it is scary, and I'm forever upskilling in my work. I have a full-time job and many other things that I'm juggling, and I am future-proofing my life by doing courses that I can work part-time in the future. Things like, well, I've just trained to be a civil celebrant, and that's something that I am really looking forward to in the future. Um, But I feel that need because even with a decent... Uh, superannuation, I'm still not going to uh, have enough, I think, Mm. to survive, especially if I live to, say, 100, which is an expectation. No, that's the problem. And uh, look, we're originally designed to live until about 55. I'm 75. And of course, I could live to 95. And that's putting in immense costs. And that's one of the reasons the government has this incredibly high immigration. It's a type of Ponzi scheme. If we bring lots more people in now, we'll get the taxes to pay for old age. But it is a classic Ponzi scheme. Unfortunately, when those people get older, you need even more people to come in. So we're going to have difficulties in paying for everyone's old age. And that's some of the challenges which are going to be ahead. Yeah, it's a really, really scary thing. And on the same topic, despite all your achievements in your career, have you any examples where you've been pushed aside and not valued? So you're, you know, maybe it's not something that's happened to you, but is there anything that you well, can think well, of? Well, it's didn't. It's I've been very lucky because I started my first business in 1968, so I would have been 24 years of age. So I really haven't worked for anyone. 
uh, after the age of 24. But certainly in those, so I would have worked for about six years and I got pushed aside lots of times, probably because I wasn't that good. Um, other times uh, people believe that you're a threat and so they want to try and get rid of you. I often used to say to my staff at Australian Geographic, they'd come in and complain to me about some particular staff member who was giving them a hard time, and I said, oh, they're probably jealous of you, and they're trying to make it hard so you leave, so don't leave, and most of those people stayed on, and we did very well. It is a scary process, isn't it, if you're pushed aside and made redundant? You mean that call, you know, come into the office? Look, it definitely is, and... uh, I'm fortunate because from a quite a young age, I've sort of monetary self-sufficiency after selling Dick Smith Electronics, and as long as I don't, you know, waste my money. But um, you, you're right, there are people in their 50s and 60s who lose a job, declare redundant, and it's very hard to get back in the workforce. In the documentary I made for the ABC, uh, we covered a bloke who had opened up his own business, I think at the age of about 60, and he was selling inks and ribbons for printers, and he was doing very well. So anyone who's listening, possibly that's the time to open a business if you're 50 or 60 years of age, because no one can ask you about age then. It's not important. So currently there's a Royal Commission into Aged Care and Safety in Australia, and many nations and communities value and support their elderly the elderly are held in like high esteem. And if you look at places like Okinawa, which is a blue zone, and they really support the elderly, their friends and families yeah. rally around. They really maintain a strong social structure. So how can Australians better support our ageing community? It's difficult because the people who call the shots, which are the wealthy donors to the political parties, they're pretty well interested in making more money. And so they're not really interested, maybe if they're interested in running aged care. But look, that's an incredible challenge. And that's going to be the type of things we're going to have to work on. I'm particularly concerned, not so much about our ageing population, but our young population, if they're going to have to live through climate change. And I think that could affect them greatly. Most of my wealthy business colleagues don't believe in human-induced climate change. I do. I think it's happening and I think it's going to be very hard to reduce putting carbon in the atmosphere and it's going to require great sacrifice and incredible leadership, which we don't have at the moment. Well, you talked about renewable energy and climate change. What are your thoughts? Well, here's the thing. I'm pro-renewables, but they're intermittent. And so you'll read everywhere now, it says renewables now cheaper than fossil fuels. It's not true. And uh, if they were cheaper, all of our problems would be solved. Now, they are cheaper when the wind's blowing or when the sun's out. But the storage problem hasn't been solved. It's very expensive. Batteries would have to come down something like 20 times in cost. No, not 20%, 20 times in cost. So electricity stored from the sun can be competitive with coal. So we have a tremendous problem and to reduce putting carbon into the atmosphere, I agree with Sir David Attenborough, it will require tremendous sacrifice. Putting a few solar cells on your roof or the government giving you a cheap battery is really tokenism. It's not going to make the major changes. In the 1990s, I worked a lot in Poland. Lech Walesa was the president. And the smell of the brown coal burning... Uh, and we were in some outback yep. and remote areas, but, oh, my God, you'd be absolutely gagging in the night. Yeah. From Well, Poland is the battery for uh, Germany. Now, you, everyone is talks about, isn't it fantastic, that Germany's now 50% uh, solar, 50% renewable. 
Uh, that's 50% average power in a whole year, but when there's a winter's night with no sun and no wind, they're pretty well connected either to the Polish brown coal grid, which is very carbon intensive, or they're connected to the nuclear grid in France. So you can be like Germany and get up to 50% renewables if you have a big nuclear battery nearby or someone with a big brown coal place. That's the only way you could do it. I wasn't aware of that. But yet I know how dirty the atmosphere was in Poland in the 90s. It wasn't, wasn't pleasant when you're walking around breathing the air. Absolutely. I've been lucky. I've been to 200 countries of the 300 in the world. I've done five flights around the world at very low level. And I remember coming back in 1982 from the first flight when I went from Fort Worth where they make the helicopter across to to England and then down here to Terry Hills. And I said when I got back, gee, I can't believe the damage we're doing to the world and it's not having any effect. I'd never heard of climate change then. And of course, now looking 40 years later, I realise that we have been damaging the environment and we need to do something about it. She waits by the slip rails. It's a poem, apparently, that Henry Lawson wrote, but sung by Lee Kernighan. It's a very sad song, yes. It's a Henry Lawson ballad about this girl who doesn't have much opportunity. She lives in a little shack out in the bush, and she has this bloke who's obviously come to see her, and he's a bit of a bounder, and she's in love with him, and he goes off. You'll hear the song, and he never comes back, I don't think, and she waits by the slip rail, and it's very sad. Hasn't Lee Kernighan got the most amazing voice? Oh, he's wonderful, yeah. Have you been up to the country and western in Tamworth? Have you? Oh, yes. Yeah, I go there every year, was there this year. Love it. I've never been, but I am going to go one day. So you. Welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging fearlessly my guest today dick smith chose that wonderful song by lee kernigan she waits by the slip rails what a yeah it is very sad but what a great song it's a wonderful song and uh not many people know it i'm a fan of henry lawson wow what an incredible bloke and i'm a fan of lee kernigan so the two came together i like my guests to choose the songs because then the audience doesn't get my choice all the time and they learn more about you where in the world would you love to revisit I love to ask my guests this because sometimes it really surprises me Mm. well I think I'd like to probably favorite place would be Antarctica but the place I'd like to revisit with my grandkids would be Nepal because they're so poor and the kids here in Australia complain and whinge and I think gee we took our girls when they were eight and ten on a trek in Nepal and they saw this little school kid who had a candle sort of as a light to do the homework on an exercise book and just no power grid and very, very simple people, one of the lowest per capita average wage in the world for people who have a job, but still happy. So, yeah, I think I'd like to go back to Nepal. That'd be great. I'm going to buy you a book, Dick. A friend of mine launched a book last week called Heartbreak in the Himalayas, Dr. Ray Hodgson. He's an obstetrician gynaecologist and he's building a hospital there for women who suffer from prolapse. And it's an incredible read. I'm partway through it, but I'm going to pick up a book and and send it over to you. I think you'll enjoy the read. Aren't you kind? 
How do you switch off on the weekends and, or at the end of the day? I don't really switch off ever. You know, I've got five or six things going in my mind at the one time. Right at this moment, I'm interested in aviation reform. We could be leaders in the world in flying training. We're not. The Chinese are coming and buying our flying schools. That's because of very weak leadership. And then I'm interested in climate change. I'm a believer and I think we should be making some tough decisions for our children's future. So I did a radio interview about the idea the Labor Party is going to have more electric cars, but if the electric cars are plugged into a coal power station, it's really not going to do a lot about carbon, and electric cars are expensive. Uh, as well as that, I love the outdoors, so I walk as much as I can. I love flying, so I might go flying this afternoon in the helicopter. Well, you just go for a fly, yeah, just like that? Ju- jump into the chopper and go up and see my daughter, and so instead of being an hour and a half to get to Arimba, it's about seven or eight minutes, so we're very lucky. And Pip jumps in with you, loves to be in the passenger seat. Absolutely. Pip's the first woman to have flown around the world in a helicopter. Most people have heard of my solo flight, 8283, in the Jet Ranger around the world. But in about 1990 or something, I bought another helicopter and took off from the front lawn here at Terry Hills and flew it around the world the other way, against the wind. And Pip came with me and took about eight months and went right right up to Everest and then uh, through to Europe and then across the northern Atlantic and by then you could land, fly through Russia, so across Alaska and down through Russia into Japan, the Philippines, Indonesia, Darwin and back to the Terry Hills lawn. So it was fantastic. That's a round-the-world trip yep. straight from home. Yeah. Is Pip a good passenger? Yeah, look, she's never got her licence but she's a very good passenger, never gets airsick. And uh, can take beautiful photographs, also good at navigation. So we're, we're a good complementary pair. Has anything ever really frightened you when you've been out flying? Have you encountered any bad weather? Oh, look, I could go on and on. I've been incredibly scared, so scared. I thought if I get out of this particular problem, I'll put the helicopter into a container and come up with some excuse to get home. But I think... The riskiest things I've ever done are the two balloon flights. I flew the first balloon across Australia and then flew one with uh, my co-pilot John Wellington from New Zealand to Australia. And you've got to understand the reason tourist balloons only go up early in the morning or late at night is they're waiting for no wind and if they see any wind they immediately land. Well, here we were. If you're going to fly across a country, you need big winds. So we're sitting in our balloon doing 160 kilometres an hour over Broken Hill up in the jet stream on this balloon, probably weighs about three tonnes, and we had to get across the Great Dividing Range and then land it safely. I was scared, and as it was, we came down near the Clarence River, and by sheer luck, the valley we came down in had no wind. So going from 160 kilometres an hour to zero and we're able to land quite safely. How many feet above the ground are you? We're over 20,000 feet, so that's about 6,000 metres. It's pretty high. I had a little uh, deck chair and a veranda that I could sit out on because I don't fear heights and I didn't like being in the gondola. And at one stage I'm holding the camera down at sort of 20,000 feet straight down to a farm uh, in near World Kenya. You are fearless. (laughs) I'm shaking my head here going, I don't think I could do that. Right. I actually uh, chased a balloon across um, France. We were working in the Loire Valley on a children's film set and we had a a balloon go up. There was, um, was it Judy Lind? Yes, yeah. So Judy Lind and her husband were part of the... Yeah, Yeah. he was 
Flying yeah. a balloon as a scene in yes. the kids' series. Ah. And I, someone said to me, Karen, can you read a map? And I went, yeah, I'll get in the car with him. <laughs> Don't reverse the car, but you're going to pick up that balloon. We went for about 100 k's and drove all through these potato fields and picked up the balloon. I've done that never in France, but around Cowra I chased Peter Vizard in a balloon and it takes hours and hours because the balloon just goes across country, but the roads don't. And you would have known that you go screaming down one road, suddenly it's a dead end and you've got to go back onto the main road all the way around and then the balloon by then is down near the horizon. Well, I had this crazy Frenchman with me and he was singing the Raiders of the Lost like, dun, 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 as we're driving through these little streets of you know what the <laughs> little streets of yep. the back of France in, in the country of France mm. and I was just shaking my head and I remember that because it's such a great experience. Yep. How many yep. people can say they've chased a balloon through France? Not many. Not many. Well, what is it that you like most about yourself? Oh, that I'm so modest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, you- look, I have, a, I have a spirit of adventure and... You know, I like the fact that I towed that iceberg into Sydney Harbour oh X years gosh. ago and it's now one of the ten greatest hoaxes in the world. It's famous. That iceberg was a barge covered in plastic and firefighting foam. It cost me $1,200. And to bring that in on April Fool's Day, I'd been telling people I was going to tow a real iceberg from Antarctica, which I was. But to bring the fake one in on April Fool's Day was a lot of fun. And I've always always been a fun person. If you remember when I started Dick Smith Foods, I had dickhead matches. As I said, <laughs> yes. redhead matches are now owned by Sweden. We've got to have our own matches. So they were dickhead matches and most people were very embarrassed, but I wasn't. Oh, my God. Why would you be embarrassed? That's just hilarious. People need a good laugh. Absolutely. I think it's fabulous. There's a rainbow over the rock. Slim, ah, yes. dusty. Beautiful and Ayers Rock, Uluru, magnificent place. Everyone should go there. You're not a real Aussie until you've been there. And, of course, this song is very emotional. Welcome back. You're listening to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. To find out more, go to the website rnb.org.au. A rainbow over the rock. Yep. Wasn't, isn't that a wonderful song? It is a wonderful song. And Slim Dusty was a wonderful Australian. I met him and knew him quite well. I once took him flying in my helicopter right up in the Blue Mountains to deliver a birthday cake to uh, Bert Carlin, one of the last of the old cattlemen. But unfortunately, the rain and the weather was bad and we couldn't get there. Oh, you had to turn back. You had to turn back, yeah. Oh, that's a shame. What are some of the important lessons you've learned in the course of your life? I think the most important lesson is to ask and ask and ask, and most Australians don't. It's interesting, my success has come because I'm a good asker. Now, you then have to use common sense to decide which is the correct advice, because when you're asking advice, you'll get quite a lot of wrong advice. Yeah. But my success formula, I tell to schools and so forth, is surround yourself with capable people, enthuse them to perform, ask advice and then act on that advice. And I think that's the most important thing I've learned. Never have a problem in asking advice. It's interesting, or just questioning everything. When I was first on the Civil Aviation Board, we'd get these bureaucrats who'd come in and they'd start sprouting in initials and we didn't even know what they're talking about. So I immediately said, oh, excuse me, what does that initial stand for? And one of the other board members said to me later, Dick, I've been at these board meetings for months and I never understood what these initials are, but I was never game to ask, yep. whereas I didn't have the problem. No, I think asking and listening, yep. um, listening for the answers, and as you said, 
you have to then figure out what's the best yes. information you've been given. Absolutely. So, for example, if you ask, are humans affecting the climate, Alan Jones will tell you 500% sure we're not, but most scientists will say 95% sure we are. So you've then got to do all your homework and then work out what's most likely to be the truth. And where do you base your truth from on climate change? Oh, climate change. Look, I'm a believer because I've flown five times around the world at low level. No one has ever done that. I'm not talking about up in a jumbo jet at 30,000 feet. I'm talking at 150 metres in my little helicopter and in my other planes. Always low level, nap of the earth. And I've seen the incredible damage we're doing to the earth. I mean, seven billion people. And I came back from my first solo flight and I got back to Australia and I said, I can't believe the damage we're doing to the earth that it's having no effect. Now, I'd never heard of climate change then. Yeah. So then when scientists started explaining what was happening, it seemed logical. And I've done every bit of research because I've got friends on both sides. And I've got friends who constantly send me scientific papers saying it's all a hoax and it's all these greenies trying to destroy capitalism. And then I've got on the greeny side people sending me papers which show that if we go to a tipping point, the whole earth will be destroyed for our future generations. And I've come out to believe that we are affecting climate, that we've got to stop putting carbon into the atmosphere. But I'm a realist. It's going to be incredibly difficult to do that. We're going to need some catastrophe where the whole world does it together. And I don't know what that catastrophe is going to be, but that's the only way we'll change. Otherwise, we're just going to keep gradually warming, like the frog in the beaker who yes. gradually got warmed and died, whereas if it happened quickly, the frog would have known. The thing is, we're also looking for other planets to go and live on, but we haven't established how to make this one work completely yet. The interesting thing is that many of the people who are looking at the other planets are so human beings, when we destroy the Earth, can go and rebreed there. That's really sad. Our problem here is that we have to live in balance, and our system of capitalism requires perpetual growth in the use of energy and resources and perpetual population growth. Now, I've benefited from that greatly, but I'm wise enough to know it's impossible to go on forever. So very shortly, we've got to get leaders who say, you've got to live in balance, you've got to stop growing, work out how to do that, and that's the only way we'll be saved. What would you like to learn more about and why? Oh, so many things. I'd love to learn more about astronomy. Uh, I was mm. looking up at the stars, was it oh, Lord Howe Island, a couple of nights ago and uh, the Southern Cross and thinking, gee, I'd love to learn more about that. I'd love to know, someone can probably answer this, they could ring in. If you put a straight line up straight out into the sky, that straight line can never stop. It must go forever, but that's impossible. We can't understand that. Someone said, oh, it circles around and comes back. And I said, no, no, I don't want a line that comes back. I want one that just keeps going in one direction. So that's how little our understandings are on the huge cosmos. Well, when you get to a place like Lord Howe or Wave Rock where there's very little lights on at night, that's when you see the real heavens. Absolutely. To get out there, I flew out two weeks ago to Birdsville to see the floods. And by the way, the floods are coming down. They're going to fill Lake Eyre, I reckon. Unbelievable. If you get a chance, go out and have a look and because it only happens once every 20 or 30 years. But out there at night, I mean, the stars are shining and Australia's the best place to look at the night sky because we have so little pollution. 
My mum lives in Lauriton on the river at Dumbogan, actually, and I was there two nights ago and I just went out into the backyard by the river and all the lights were off and you look up and you just think, oh, my gosh, that is gorgeous. What's something that people would be surprised to know about you? Surprised to know about me? Um, I don't drink. Neither do I. I'm not not much of an Aussie, am I? No, I've never liked alcohol, so I've never drink beer. And when I flew the helicopter around the world, I'd be landing at some terrible godforsaken place and some Aussie who lived in the town had gone and bought a can of Foster's and brought it all the way out to the airport to welcome me with a cold can of Foster's. Now, in fact, I always drank it because I thought I can't have had this person do this, but I didn't like it. And uh, so that's something that maybe some people don't know. I'm a sceptic. Most people know that I'm sceptical. But I'm not an atheist. I'm more of an agnostic. I'm an, I don't know. And I see so many incredible religions in this world. I've travelled around to 200 countries and to pick one I find pretty difficult. But to say they're all wrong, I find that even harder. Mm, I'd have to agree on that too. You know, I'm, I'm not an atheist. But yep. don't know. open mind, yep. open mind. Looking back... Is there anything that you would have done differently? Looking back, would have things... Look, I've been really fortunate. Most people will come up with lots of things and I've had lots of friends who I think, oh, why did you do that? Because it's ended up in great failure. Now, I've been incredibly fortunate. I've had three business careers, each of them successful. I have done five flights around the world and two balloon flights always lived through them and been on time. So, so far I've been really lucky. Um, Some people think I should have persevered and tried to go to university. I'm a bit dyslectic and maybe I would have gone to university but maybe I wouldn't have been successful in running my own business. Um, I'm really lucky that I don't look back and think, oh, there was someone I was cruel to or I bullied or something like that. When I was at school, I had a speech defect Here's something that a lot of people wouldn't know. I couldn't say the letter S. So at Roseville Public School, when I was eight years of age, in a first or second class, the teacher, the new teacher came in and got everyone to stand up and say their name. So I got up and said Dick Dick Fish and then (laughs) Dick Miff and put on a bit of an act and the the whole class roared with laughter because they knew I couldn't say Smith. (laughs) And I was too dumb to tell... I should have just said, look, I'm sorry, miss, I can't say my name, but I didn't do that. So in the end, I got sent to the principal who rang my my mother and my mother being a home mum was there and she said, oh, look, he's got a speech defect. Now, the funny thing today, of course, you'd be sent to speech therapy and all the rest of it. In those days, everyone laughed at me and it was probably good they did because I didn't really think I was being bullied. I probably was, but I got through it and eventually learnt to say yes. (laughs) So it's a bit of a toughening up thing, you know. Just it, it probably was, yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny how I look at it now as a bit of a joke. And when I bought a beautiful jet aircraft, I thought all those people who laughed at me when I couldn't say S and called myself Dick Miff. So I got the registration, Mike India Foxtrot Miff. And so I had the last laugh, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> was it sort of like a little bit of um, a, a lisp? Is that what you had? Well, no, I just than... couldn't say S. Smith. I couldn't say, I was Dickie Miff. <laughs> Dickie Miff. But what's your name? I'm Dick, Dick Miff. He's and, a real and Miff. people looked at me strangely and uh, I sort of tried to cover it up by not saying my name and uh, I should have just said, look, I cannot say my name. 
But it, when you're eight, you don't think of things like that. So what age did you start to be able to say Smith? I think it was nine or ten. I think it... Okay. Um, I, I sort of asked my mother, were you going to send me to a speech therapist? They said, oh, we've never heard of such a thing in those days. And we thought you were quite quaint. <laughs> and little Dickie Miff. And we always thought, mum said, oh, you march by the beat of a different drum. You're always quite weird. And so that was just part of your weirdness. <laughs> but look at Ida Buttrose. Well, I remember her coming to TV and her lisp, and it was quite yeah. evident. It was yeah. really pronounced. I think it, she's wonderful and has benefited from it. And when she was recently appointed to the head of the ABC, which I think is fantastic, there was this incredible cartoon showing her lips, <laughs> for saying, I've forgotten how it was, but it was a very good cartoon. And the beaut thing is that she can laugh about it. See, some people would say, oh, you're being cruel. But no, it's, it's a feature of, of Ita, like every other feature of her. It's a part of her, yeah, yeah, a very big part of it. She owns it. Yeah. Exactly. The last song you chose today is My Oath to Australia by John Williamson, being a proud Australian. Yeah, look, most people don't know this song. So when you listen to it, listen to the words. They're absolutely fantastic. I'm not a nationalist at all. I don't think nationalism is a good idea. I'm a patriot. I love Australia. We're very fortunate people. I never say we're the best country in the world. Everyone says that about their country. All I say is we're incredibly fortunate people. And have a listen to this song. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. My guest in the studio today is Dick Smith, Golden Wattle and Blue Gum Green. And John Williamson wrote that. He writes virtually all of his work and isn't that wonderful? Oh, it is. Surrounded (laughs) by ocean, he describes our country so well in the middle is so barren. Yep. We're an arid country and that's when people start talking about population growth to 100 million, it's madness because we're an arid country. It's possible we could desalinate water, which we're doing, but why would you want to? Everything in nature lives in balance and humans have to do the same thing. And eight out of the ten most successful countries on earth have less than 10 million population. So we've got to be very careful about this ridiculous growth. Well, you mentioned David Attenborough and some of the programs of his, are looking at what's happening in the in the Arctic and the Antarctic, where the animals, the walrus, etc., have nothing to land on. Right. Yes, it's amazing. And uh, look, Sir David Attenborough, he believes in climate change. Sir Richard Branson, the owner of Virgin, he believes is a friend of mine. He believes in climate change and. Uh, Sir David Attenborough said we'll require huge sacrifice to do something about it, and he's absolutely right. And Sir Richard Branson said we'll need the activation of, in effect, the work of a third world war, and he's right. So one day we have to get into this, and it's going to be incredibly difficult, incredibly challenging. Probably going to provide a lot of work for people, but um, I'm, I'm concerned for my grandchildren. Is Richard Branson able to influence people? Is he? Well, of course he is. I mean, immediately he was criticised because he owns an airline and travels around in an airline using carbon, but he's just saying the truth. But look, at the moment we don't have the leadership because it's going to be incredibly difficult. Putting a few solar cells on roofs and getting people to buy electric cars is, is so minute compared to the total problem. The whole world will have to get together and at the moment, I mean... 
we sell $96 billion worth of fossil fuels a year to Japan and China and India. Our economy would collapse if we stopped doing that mm. for a start. And secondly, if we stopped doing it, China and India would buy from somewhere else. Mm. But we can't keep burning this this coal. We can't. And so we've got this incredible problem. And do you take keeping the economy going and raising the standard of living now for people like us, you and me and our kids, or do we sacrifice now for the future? In fact, we'll have to sacrifice for the future, but politically that's going to be very hard to do. It's a catch-22 very yep. much, isn't it? Have you got any advice for the over-50s in particular as to living a better life as they get older? Well, well, yes. I mean, I look at myself, I'm 75, I've got most of my friends, are all the friends from my Boy Scout days at East Rosal Scouts. The Boy so Scouts. Yeah. I was a brownie. Yeah, well, my wife Pip was a girl guide. Now, by the way, the girls are in the Scouts. That's even better. But uh, looking at my friends and so forth, obviously try and do some exercise and um, obesity is our biggest problem. I'm a bit overweight at the moment, not too much, so I've got to get that off. And uh, so health is a very important thing. Um, I think one of the be- things about when you're older, you can volunteer, and I suggest to everyone you try and volunteer in some way. I'm thinking of coming up with an idea that when you volunteer, you book the hours up somewhere, uh-huh. and they are used to award special certificates or Orders of Australia or something. I remember my scout master, he volunteers at the scouts, he volunteered at the church, he then ran the men's shed. He's just a wonderful volunteer. But I've found the people who volunteer, they have, I think karma generates a completely different attitude. They're healthier, they're nicer to talk to, they're just nicer people. So my advice to see if you can volunteer with your time. I donate a bit of money, but I I don't volunteer with a lot of time, so I should do that. I think the thing is that you're very busy um, doing things that make our lives better. And well, in your philanthropic adventures and talking to children, etc., someone has to give the time as well to doing the groundwork, and that's important. Many things start with a dream, or most things in life start with a dream. It's just a thought in your brain. Have you got any unfulfilled? dreams that you'd like to share with us oh look i'd love to finish the aviation reform i started and never got you know we should be the world's leader in flying training we're not most of the flying schools have closed down and that was because the bureaucrats just keep writing more and more expensive rules because they say with aviation safety has to come before cost but that's a lie in fact in everything in life it has to be affordable if you make flying so expensive that uh, people can't afford to buy the air ticket you don't have an air service. What they've done is they've made the flying training so expensive that people can't afford to learn to fly here. And that means we'll be getting our pilots from China. And I thought, look, I can understand we get our electronics from China. They make the best electronics in the world. But we train the best pilots. Mm. And with globalisation, we should be providing pilots for the world. China makes the electronics and uh, Switzerland makes the best watches. But that's not working and that's a real problem. Is there anything else that you'd just like to add today? Anything in particular? We've talked about climate change. We've talked about education, about places you'd like to revisit. Yeah, look, I think what I'd like to add is for, especially in our present political situation, it's so hard for politicians because 
if one of them actually got up and told the truth that we've got real problems, maybe they'd be accepted. I think what I'll ask is everyone, when you vote, think of your grandchildren, not of whether you're going to get a bit more of a tax return Mm. this week or the super's not going to go up or something like that. Please try and think of our grandchildren. I'm certainly going to do that and I don't know who I'm going to vote for at the moment. I'll look at the policies at the time. Believe it or not, I'm a wealthy capitalist but I voted for Labor and Liberal. I remember voting for Bill Wentworth when he was an independent and uh, so I look around depending on what the policies are at the time. I don't know if this is a question what you want to answer. Have you, do you have a favourite politician or a Prime Minister that Oh, yes. Look, I've known all of our Prime Ministers quite well other than probably the last two, but uh, Bob Hawke and Paul Keating were my favourites. John Howard was very good. Our kids went to school together. He was a friend of mine, but I think Bob Hawke was my favourite Prime Minister. And I think the changes that Paul Keating brought in were great. So that it's amazing. Labor seemed to do all the changes. You'd think the Libs will do the changes, but Labor seems to do all the changes. And so... Yeah, definitely Bob Hawke would be my hero. My hero too. I oh, think – I mean, no, I think, you know, he was very down-to-earth ah. and really in touch with the people. Ah, oh, he was. He, he's wonderful person. just a, an everyday bloke. Absolutely. No, no, I mean, that's the type of leader we need now. He'd say things that were politically incorrect and it's really strange. The system now brings up all clones – And I recently met a parliamentarian, I won't want to say which one, but he was a Liberal parliamentarian and everything he said was as if he'd gone through the Liberal pre-selection clone. And so, of course, he he talks about growth. He doesn't talk about the fact you can't have growth because the Liberal Party's pro-growth. And it was almost as if he'd been brainwashed. And then I thought, well, that's probably why he's pre-selected. And that's so sad. And it's why Trump got in in the United States and... If the major parties aren't careful, we'll just end up with a mishmash of independence because everyone is so angry about our politicians not doing anything. Something came to mind a minute ago when <laughs> when you were speaking, political correctness. What's your thoughts on political correctness? I hate it. No, it's absolutely ridiculous and I'm probably the most politically incorrect person, you know, to have dickhead matches and tie icebergs <laughs> into Sydney Harbour. And But that was Australia. Yeah, yeah, and... Yeah, to me, the political correctness now has just gone completely crazy where you've got to be so careful what you say and everything. And I'm, I mean, I'm an ambassador for Aboriginal reconciliation. And what I, what really gets me is people sort of make out that the Aboriginal people who are here for 60,000 years with never more than a million, that that was a good life back then. No, half the time they starved. They were incredibly nomadic, basic, without the heating and warmth that we'd want today. So it was a tough life. But one thing it showed, and that is the handling capacity of Australia over long term, is less than a million people. Mm. That's how many they had. And no, the Aboriginal people, many of them got really hard times today, but none of them would want to go back to that nomadic lifestyle. It would be just too cruel. Well, thank you so much, Dick Smith, for coming in and joining me on the Ageing Fearlessly program. And I know the listeners are going to love hearing all that you've talked about. And I look, it's just a thrill for me that you answered my email and said you'd come in and have a chat. And Karen, you're the ultimate professional. I just think you're so professional at what you're doing. Good on you. Thank you very much. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. 
Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, aging is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in It's not all nine to five, it's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains high, swim across oceans wide. Live out our dreams, just you and me. Let your heart be alive. There's no time to Gotta go get the most out of time Don't be afraid Like this treasure that you've got to find Baby, don't be shy Let's go and take that ride Taste the sweet and the spice Everything nice Let your heart just let your heart come alive, honey. Let your heart be alive.